Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the WealthStream Podcast with Tim Scannell. Tim has been covering a great series about looking downstream, which is talking about preparing a business, preparing your business for exit or transition and protection. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Great. Now, I know that in the the last podcast, we covered kind of how approaching the river and and kind of the analogy there, preparing to enter and making some adjustments. Can you kind of take us through uh, some of the highlights from the last couple podcasts? Sure. I really enjoy in general, working with business owners, entrepreneurs, um, and I like to help them prepare to exit, transition the business that they've worked on their lives, typically sometimes second generation, and help them prepare for an exit to monetize or transition that business ownership into some value of dollars that'll uh, help them maintain their standard of living going forward. Mm -hmm. And so once they do, you know, sell that business, making sure that they're using the money to get the maximum return on life for their families. But then also where I think we're unique and add value is we work a lot with the eventual heirs or charities that might receive the funds to make sure that they're prepared to receive it in a way that will benefit their life rather than harm it. Um, So that's just generally the goal that we walk into an engagement with. And I think in the first podcast, I tried to talk about the process of uh, creating a team. You know, before you even consider a creating a transition plan or an exit strategy, you really need to make sure you have all the right players on your team. And then the last time we talked a little bit about once you have your plan, you've done your research, you have your team together, as you're approaching the marketplace, making sure and being prepared, I guess, that um, you're willing to make adjustments. And the analogy that I like to use is with fly fishing, you know, I might have already prepared my, gotten a guide, talk to the people at the fly fisher shop, talk to other fishermen. But when I get down to the river, before I get into the river and fish, oftentimes I adjust my plan. And, you know, I've worked with a number of situations with business owners where we come up with these great plans. We go to the market, we talk to investment bankers, private equity people, and we determine that, you know, we need to completely pivot, you know, and change the plan. And, What I wanted to get into in more detail, today's podcast really is, okay, so now I've gotten my team together, I've done my research, I've maybe revised the plan. You know, as I'm entering the marketplace and really starting to deal with and negotiate and talk to these potential buyers, you know, what that process looks like. Okay, that'd be great. I know there's multiple choices. I'm going back to the team concept. You're surrounding yourself with people that do things that you don't do. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole purpose to having a deep bench or a, a, a big team. Uh, can you name some of the players on that team for me? Yeah, one of the, oftentimes I meet with business owners and they have established CFO, human resources people, mm-hmm. accounting processes, but oftentimes they don't internally. So we look internally to make sure they have the proper people. But typically a business owner 
doesn't have a team outside. So maybe you've got a CPA or attorney you've worked with on real estate transactions or to do your tax return, but you need one that needs more M&A experience. So I think CPAs, attorneys, possibly trust officers, and in many cases, contacts in the M&A or you know, private equity marketplace. Th- th- those would be additions to somebody's team that they might not have already. You have the resources to find those or to recommend good team members, I assume? Yes. What we typically do is we create an evaluation process up front where we identify what are the strengths and weaknesses of the internal team, the external team mm-hmm. for the business owner, and then where there's gaps or where there's people missing, we do have resources and you know people and firms that we've used, but oftentimes we also um, you know consider context that the client has and that we, we just reach out depending on the very specific industry and maybe need of the client. Gotcha. So I've got a team. Now, now what happens? So you've got the team, uh, you've come up with an initial plan. And what I'm, the thing that I always talk to clients about is preparing what some people will call a deck or, or just a, a list of tools that are ready so that when they do start talking to potential buyers, they're prepared. So for example, we spend a lot of time up front creating pro formas and models. Uh, and what that means is a business owner likely has historical profit and loss statements, balance sheet, et cetera, but oftentimes they're not forecasting into the future, and that's really what a pro forma does. A pro forma just says, if I take you know, what I have done in the past, I make a series of assumptions, I can put those into models, and then I can pr- print out some forecasts so that when I talk to a potential buyer, I'm ready to change the assumptions, change gears, and see how it affects the sales process, you know, the the value I could be adding to this potential buyer, but also to my own personal situation. We spend a lot of time up front working with their CFO or with their accountants or using our CPAs and certified financial planners on, on our team to come up with these pro formas and models. All right. So you're talking about kind of the history of what the business has done and, and the possible future based on historical data. Yeah, because what happens is the next step is really any buyer really wants to see your growth plan. They want to see that they, they want to invest in a company that has a plan for growth. Oh, and, and potential. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, and growth you potential, right. Yeah, you, you know, don't want so yeah, to uh, invest in something that looks like it's going to tank. Exactly. And so one of the things we, we help clients with is, and they typically don't track this, is go back historically and really go back and identify – maybe new revenue you've, you've generated from existing clients wow, or, yeah, definitely. you know, what is your sales development process where you're getting new clients and see what your pattern has been in the past, quantify and list out these processes that you have that have achieved those results and then use some of those same processes and, and growth rates to forecast going forward because these are what the potential buyers are going to want to see. And those are the things that are fit there are input into the models and performance that I talked about a minute ago. You and I have talked a lot about uh, different aspects of small business and and medium sized business, all all kinds of businesses. I've never been in a position personally to purchase another business, but I would think that the the culture of the business, how the business runs, just on a personnel level, would be a, would play a big part. How does that work into this? It, it really does. So beyond the numbers. Uh, which I talked about, the culture of a potential buyer is critical because typically in the business owners I work with, they've grown it, they've created, maybe they've taken it over from 
a prior generation where, where there may be parents or grandparents or somebody else that has grown it. And they've created this culture. And if they're exiting, it's very emotional. It's very personal. They want to make sure that whoever this buyer is, as best they can, they want to make sure that they're going to uh, be, can have a consistent culture, protect their employees, protect you know, uh, the vision that they created. Mm-hmm. Now, for an example, we operate as a fiduciary registered investment advisor. So we value independence, transparency, full disclosure. We're planning-based. These are all part of our ingrained culture. So when we look, for example, to maybe merge or uh, acquire uh, you know, another competitor in our industry, they have to have that same culture. We can't look at somebody who's maybe uh, working at one of the traditional brokerage firms where they're not necessarily as transparent or they're not operating as a fiduciary. It just really has to be a cultural fit. Otherwise, it's you're doomed for failure, I think. Okay, got it. What else are we looking for when we're going to the marketplace? When you go to the marketplace, you know, in addition to having growth plan, having an idea of your pro formas, your mission and vision, you really need to quantify and identify and communicate what your unique value is. So every company is so different. And this takes a long time. Oftentimes, the client, the company, they have it in their mind. They, They understand what it is. But oftentimes, business owners keep it up in their brain. Mm-hmm. What we try to do is make sure that on this deck, you know, on this, I don't want to call it a PowerPoint, you know, slide, but on this, this bullet point list of um, things you're going to talk to these potential buyers about, you need to really identify your unique value and why it is that clients you have specifically work with you and why you think they'll continue to work with you going forward. We also look at the team resume. So when a potential buyer looks to acquire you, they're going to want to know that it's not just the owner, that there's a strong team mm-hmm. internally, that they, when, when they buy and the owner exits, that the team will still be there. But not only just who they are and how long they've been there, what, they're, what they do, but you know, what does the flow chart look like? Do you have a, a professional organized structure for your team? Uh, what's the comp structure? You know, they're going to want to know, are there, is there incentive comp in place? Because if a, if a buyer has their own in compensation structure or own plan, they're going to want to know in advance if it's going to be a material difference and that's going to be an issue with keeping some of your people. Are any of them shareholders, et cetera? So the, the, the flow chart, the team resume, uh, how they're being paid and benchmarking against your competitors, et cetera, mm-hmm. that's all really critical. Now, another key thing is, when you get acquired, when someone's looking to buy you, typically they're either a financial buyer or a strategic buyer, and they're going to want to make sure you have documented processes so that you have the ability to what they call scale. You've got these growth plans, but if one of these buyers comes in, if you don't really have a, a documented sales process or inventory process, et cetera, it's going to be much harder for them to grow your business faster once they acquire you. Having the ability to identify documented processes that you have from all, and all covering all different areas is really important part of this deck also. Well, that makes sense because you don't want to, they're, they're looking to buy a working business. It's already functioning and, and already has its steps in place. If they wanted to build their own business, that that's what they do, but they're trying to buy an existing business. So it makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. They just want to step right in and they want to grow it even faster than you've been able to maybe. They also want to know how well you thought out who your competition is? You know, have you tried to create some sort of moat or protection from that competition? 
all these categories or all these criteria in this deck are going to be tweaked and be a little different depending on a really important thing that business owners have to decide, which is what are your specific as the seller? What are your, what are your alternative structures or how do you want to sell this? For example, there are um, what they call financial buyers. So a financial buyer might be a private equity firm, a venture capital firm, hedge fund. Mm-hmm. Sometimes now in the marketplace, these family investment offices, and they're looking to make an investment. They're looking to make a single standalone, typically investment, and they're looking for what the rate of return is they can get. Now they may have other similar businesses, but typically they're looking more for a long-term rate of return. So the next thing you really have to identify in this deck or some of these key variables are the preferred and some of the alternative structures or options or strategies you, you want to implement when you sell. For example, if you're talking to strategic buyers, these might be um, competitors of yours. They might be customers of yours. Uh, they could be suppliers of yours. And mm-hmm. really what they are probably looking for is a way to uh, expand their product line, ex- diversify their revenues, for example, or maybe they've identified that you have a unique production or service, et cetera, but they're looking for synergy. So when they're analyzing your company, they're not looking at it as a standalone. They're really saying, how can I integrate what you're doing and make our whole entity bigger and better? Gotcha. Um, a, a financial buyer is typically a private equity firm, venture capital, hedge fund, some sort of family office. And oftentimes what they're looking at is I'm going to make an investment here and I'm going to, I'm purely looking for a rate of return. I, I likely don't have some synergistic other entities that I own, but I have experience in running a business and I feel like this is, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to grow it, and then I'll likely want to sell it. So a financial buyer might be buying it and selling it within the next three to five years. Whereas oftentimes strategic buyers, it's not always the case, but oftentimes strategic buyers might hold it for a longer period. So it's critical that you identify in advance which one of those you're going after as a preference because that'll determine how you tweak your own presentation. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Some of the other things you'll need to factor in are tax efficiency. Um, How is the sale going to occur and how do you want it to occur? Because typically a buyer and a seller have different goals in terms of how it's structured and it's taxed differently. So this is where the CFO or the CPA really adds a lot of value. From a seller's perspective, we always want to integrate this process with a full financial plan for the seller because that determines the timing. You know, do you need the cash up front? Do you need all the cash up front if you do sell? Are you willing, if it's a private equity firm, are you willing to maybe roll some of it into that entity so that you can get some future growth. Well, if you don't have enough to maintain your current standard of living, probably not. Mm-hmm. So understanding your own goals, your own plan is really critical. Typically, business owners have real estate related to the business. Oftentimes, they might own the, the manufacturing plant or the, the facility that houses the business, and they rent it back. So you need real specific goals um, and, and understand your options related to how maybe a buyer might treat that too. Yeah, I've, so, I worked in a company years ago, Tim, that they kind of ran into the same situation. They had an off-site warehouse that their buyer didn't need because they had their own. So that was a whole, I mean, th- that's another piece that may or may not be included. And they have to look at that and say, okay, is this, how are we going to handle this piece of it? Even though it's separate from the business, that's something else to that's 
on the table or maybe off the table. Exactly. And oftentimes the financial buyers specifically, they don't want to own real estate. Mm -hmm. They're just looking for the business. So, you know, you need to figure out what to do with that. We've talked a little bit about the details of this deck, but one of the other things you need to consider as a seller is when you hire these guides, your team, M&A consultants, investment bankers, you have to decide up front whether the guide is going to go with you fully in this path and they're going to maybe help negotiate the deal or are they going to give you advice and then you're going to take this on yourself. They're going to kind of stay behind. You know, so for example, when I end up going down to the river to fly fish, you know, I will have made the decision based on the river itself, how complicated the situation is, whether I'm going to take that guide with me and he's going to be in the river with me or whether I'm, I've gotten all the advice I need and I'm just going to kind of make my own decisions and I'm going to reach out to him maybe if I need it. But that's a fundamental decision and I've had clients go both ways. I've had clients say, I'm going to really do this, control this process. I'm going to use the guides and I'm going to use the team, but I'm going to do it. And I've had others say, well, I'm, I'm a great business owner. I think I'm good at what I've done, but I'm not really qualified to really take on this process. So it's not, there's not a right or a wrong answer, but it's, you really need to think about that upfront. Yeah. I, I imagine that it has a lot to do with time. Uh, how much time do you have to put into this process? Because if you're extremely busy as the business owner, which most business owners are, you may not have the time to do everything that the guide is going to provide for you. All the services that they'll be able to provide for you if you take them along compared to, like you said, you're you're in the river and you're, you're doing it yourself, but you can give them a call. Okay, I've got a 12-pound trout on. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. to do now. <laughs> you know, uh, Help me out here. How does time factor into that? Time's a huge factor. Sometimes I meet with clients who are very, very involved in day-to-day. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to say micromanagers. Some are, but some just want, you know, need control of the whole process. Others have stepped back. They have built teams that teams are possibly running the organization. So they actually have more time. But I would say the most important thing more is skill set. So mm -hmm. I was recently involved in a situation where there were three partners negotiating a merger and also negotiating with one of their primary vendors. And one of them, the majority owner, said, my weakest skill set is negotiating. Uh, I'm just terrible at it. Nothing good will come of it if I'm in charge. So they identified who were the three, plus they brought in an attorney who does that, and everything went much better because people understood, this guy particularly understood his skill set, where he was strong and where he was weak. Wow, I think that, that's more important. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of humbling in a way, and hopefully that a business owner can kind of put that pride away. They built this company for so many years, and they want to see this whole process through, but they've got to realize, because I would be in the same boat. I, I'm not a great negotiator. Now, I can... I can talk, you know, people down a lot when I when I'm, you know, trying to buy something, but if I'm selling something, that's that's a whole different story. I would not want to be part of that process because there's I think there'd be too much emotion involved. Mhm. Mm exactly. Another thing that I think causes many business owners to hesitate to even start this process is just the fear that if I start the process, my competitors, my suppliers, my customers, they might discover that I'm looking to get out. And how will that impact my business long term? Mm -hmm. And so one of the value adds for somebody in the M&A side of it, like an investment banker or a private equity person, is that they have non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements, and they're much more experienced at confidentially and privately 
looking out to the marketplace in a way that's not going to hopefully disclose too much to your competitors, et cetera. Now, eventually, I think, you know, if the process goes down the road, people will find out. It's just impossible, especially because mm-hmm. many industries are just small worlds. But um, I think initially, this whole process can be done with a tremendous amount of confidentiality and you can alleviate the fear that your your competitors or somehow you might lose business because of it. Got it. All right, Tim, you've covered quite a bit today, and I know that this is going to lead right into our next podcast. Can you give us a bit of a teaser on what we're going to be covering next time? Yes. Yeah, so I think that in general, financial advisors, trust officers, attorneys, CPAs, I think we do a good job as professionals in organizing and creating plans, creating pro, pro formas, documenting etc. And and helping clients get down the path to a successful, in this case, an exit of a business. Where I think we add unique value and where I think client, where I know clients tell us that we do is in helping them with that next step, which is not just having a full financial plan prepared for the owners and for the next generation to make sure that they have enough, to make sure that the wealth is preserved, uh, to protect them and to create you know, the, the life that they want to lead, mm-hmm. but also to really assess why is it that sometimes succession plans don't succeed? You know, why is it that sometimes they fail? And typically it's just, it's because the beneficiaries, the heirs, the charities that clients want to, uh, to send money to, they're just not prepared to receive it. So what I want to talk about at the next podcast is really this assessment process we have mm-hmm. and some of the tools we use with beneficiaries, with the heirs, and some communication strategies that business owners might want to start implementing while they're going through this process. That sounds like it would be a tremendous kind of a peace of mind component to this for for the exiting business owner. Yes. it's Clients tell us that this is where we really add the most value. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, Any other closing thoughts today? I would just say that when we work for clients, you know, we work as their trusted fiduciary advisor. And if you are a business owner, it's truly never too early to start planning your exit. And you can reach out to us on our website. You can contact our contact information is on the website. And you can also access a lot of tools and resources there uh, that might give you some help. Fantastic. And I would encourage anybody who just has a question about this process to reach out. It's a free phone call. So please do it. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with Tim Scannell. The Wealthstream podcast is coming to you every couple weeks. So please, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. It also makes it much, much easier to share this podcast with your friends and family. And I'm thinking that most of you probably know somebody that could use this advice. Thank you again for listening today. For everyone at the Wealthstream podcast, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealthstream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC.